All right, let's get to it. Just a couple of verses this morning on the message that I have titled Three Little Words. So we read in John chapter 19 at verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. That's a key word there. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, and that's important as well, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I want you to look, and we'll come back to this in just a moment. I want you to look once again at verse 28 where it says, All things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Then Jesus' words, those three little words, It is finished. And he bows his head and gave up the spirit, gave up his physical life. By far, my favorite singer of all time since I was a child is Nat King Cole. And it hasn't changed from the time I was young to today. He popularized the song along with some others as well. The title of the song is Three Little Words. I guess some of you may remember it. Others sang it too, but my favorite has always been Nat King Cole. I want to give you the lyrics on this song, Three Little Words. It says, Three little words, oh, what I'd give for that wonderful phrase to hear those three little words. That's all I'd live for the rest of my days. And what I feel in my heart, they tell sincerely. No other words can tell it half so clearly. Three little words, eight little letters, which simply mean I love you. And what I feel in my heart, they tell sincerely. No other words can tell it half so clearly. Three little words, eight little letters, which simply mean I love you. Simply means I love you. Three little words. There's a popular song, or it was a popular song many years ago. And those words, I love you, are certainly amongst the most important in this world. In fact, it really sums up the gospel of Christ. Love one another. But more imposing than three little words, I love you, are the three little words that Jesus used here at Calvary when he was dying on the cross. It is finished. I pointed out to you in the 28th verse that Jesus, it says, knowing that all things were now accomplished, finished that the scripture might be fulfilled. These are two very imposing statements in this one verse. Jesus would go on to say something I hope that I can say, and if you will understand the importance of this statement, I hope that you can say it as well, but for the moment it's, it's something that I've always striven for. Near the end, before he went to the cross, Jesus said, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And on that note, it's for me a great relief to know that I do not have to finish the work that other people give me. I don't have to finish the work of things that I've started in my life, projects, plans, goals. I may want to finish them, but I'm not obligated. But it will be a great relief to you to come to the end of your life being able to say, Father, I have finished the work 
that you gave me to do. Now, I've been reminding you quite a bit lately. Mario is mentioning it as well. In the rebirth, God creates us all to be the same, conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. But beyond that, we have all different gifts and all different talents. And you want to be able to say, as Jesus and the Apostle Paul said, Jesus said, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. The Apostle Paul said, I have finished my course. It's basically the same thing. Today's message is not on the subject of discerning your gifts and talents, but let me just say quickly, everybody has at least one. In my case, I got more than one. And God expects me to develop each one for his glory, for his kingdom. And that's been my aim. And so I hope that you can come to the end of your life saying, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Now, with reference to what Jesus is saying here on the cross, as we look at verse 28 again, he knows that all things are now accomplished. So what does that mean? The rest of the verse explains it. The scriptures were now fulfilled. For all the years it took, almost 4,000 years of history between Genesis and Malachi, when prophet after prophet came along here and there and in different ways received the word of God and then it was committed to paper. Now we have it in the Bible. They spoke of many things, but they spoke primarily of one who would come, a Messiah, who would deliver, particularly Israel, is the way they understood it, and in many cases the way it is applied in the Old Testament, to deliver the nation, to deliver and fulfill the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and so on. When these prophets came along, they said, this is what's going to happen. Even though as the process of God's writing the Bible was all going on, the prophets didn't always have a clear picture of the whole thing. When we come into the New Testament and we're looking back, we have a clear picture. The veil is taken off of our eyes and we understand what Jesus meant. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus spoke about this, and he said the scriptures would have to be fulfilled. This, by the way, is the significant difference between the Bible and every other religious book. Every single one. What is it? It's God saying, this is how it's going to end. And as we see prophecies already fulfilled, the majority of them have already been fulfilled in the Bible, we see that they were fulfilled with amazing accuracy, that only God could do that. Only God could say, this is how it's going to finish. This is how it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. If you read through the Old Testament <clears throat> with understanding, you see the prophets are saying, this is what's going to happen to the nation or to an individual. This is what's going to happen to you, the blessing or the curse. And we see God working through time, our time, his plan. Most of which has already been accomplished. Not all, but most of which. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that from the beginning of Genesis in chapter 3, when God says that he would send a Messiah, we have this dialogue between God and Satan and Adam and Eve, and God is saying that he was going to send the seed of the woman who would come and even though the serpent would bite down on the heel of this Messiah, the Savior, the Messiah would crush his head. But then the plan unfolded and has been unfolding. But here, Satan was dealt a very significant blow in the death of Jesus Christ. Because we know the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we can't meditate our way there. We can't breathe our way there or 
this idea of human potential, which does exist, and human beings can do some incredible things with their minds and with their bodies, that's not the same as salvation. That's not the same as making an entrance into the Holy of Holies, into heaven forever. It's just not the same. And people are fooled. Some people are fooled. Knowing all things were now accomplished at the scripture, beginning at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all these thousands of years now it had culminated to this one moment when, as we read about John the Baptist pointing to his cousin, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In Leviticus 17 and verse 11, God says in the Torah, in the law, he says, I have given you the blood to make an atonement for your soul. But it was the blood of goats and of heifers and pigeons even. But it was never the blood of a human being. Now Jesus talks about the cross in his ministry, a little here, a little there. And he says, for this reason, for this cause, I was born. This is the fulfillment of God's plan. Again, not the entire fulfillment. We still have a little more to go, as we all here know. But he says here, the text says, Jesus, knowing that now everything was accomplished, that the scriptures would be fulfilled, a statement that, particularly in Matthew, he uses quite a lot. Jesus healed the sick, and it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. And one thing I want to tell you as an exhortation, that you, well, you could, you should, you can bet your life that the scripture is going to be fulfilled exactly the way God said it would be fulfilled. And we're fulfilling it right now. As you see all the signs, I don't know of too many signs that we don't see that are named in this book that talks about the return of Jesus Christ and what will happen then. That's not my topic for today. But he said, if I go, I will come again. And one part of his return is to receive us to himself. But let me mention quickly something I see repeatedly in dealing with professing Christians is a falling away, is the entrance into God's house of strange fire, doctrines that are foreign to the Bible, ideology and philosophy, and then therefore behavior that is foreign to the Bible. If you're not familiar with strange fire and the term, this is what the sons of Aaron did. They went against the commands of God in offering a sacrifice in the tabernacle, and God struck them down right there because they had offered a fire not according to the ordinance of Levitical law and the law that God gave. And God even instructs Aaron. This has always struck me. We as parents who raise our children in the hopes that they also will know the Lord. And God instructs Aaron through Moses. He says, now make sure Aaron does not weep and cry over the death of these two sons of his. Why would God say something like this? It doesn't sound like the God of this age. He's always crying. Remember, God is simple. God is impassive. God is not prone to the things that we're prone to. In any case, the idea would be that for Aaron to be weeping over his children would make God look like he did something wrong. And God cannot do anything wrong for one simple reason. He's God. Everything that God does is righteous. When he took the lives of those two sons of Aaron because they offered strange fire, his decision was righteous. When God comes to judge the living and the dead, which is part of the scriptures to still yet to be fulfilled, every judgment God makes will be totally righteous because he's God and he cannot make a mistake ever. He's God. I actually had somebody propose this question many years ago to me because I think that he was actually entertaining this thought. Did I think that God could make a mistake and this is very, very early on. I mean, I was still a very young man. And I said, think of the ridiculous consequences that we would have, the serious consequences, if God really didn't know what he was doing, if God could make a mistake. I mean, the thought is absolutely untenable. It's not something that can happen. 
But we have anyway, as a sign of the time, strange fire being offered in the places where professing Christians gather. We see the great falling away introduced by these strange doctrines and fires and behaviors and everything else that's going on in these places of worship loosely called the church. We are the church. We know that. But here Jesus, to be back on point, he says three little words. It's finished. God began when man sinned in the book of Genesis. Now the price, the full price has been paid, which is what this word teleo means, which is the primary Greek word behind this statement, it is finished. It means to set out to accomplish something, as we read there in John 19, 28. It means to set out to have a certain end and then to complete that end. We've all started projects with the hope that this is how it's going to end, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But when we finish, then we say, without saying it, perhaps externally, it's finished. For instance, when Michelangelo was, I say, requested, I think it was more like a command, to paint the Sistine Chapel by Pope Julius, it was taking too much time, according to Pope Julius. He wanted this work to be rushed along, but Michelangelo, who was actually a sculptor, not as much a painter, had to put a lot of thought and time into it. All totally it took about four years. But one day, Pope Julius, in his impatience with Michelangelo's work in the Sistine Chapel, said to him, he wanted the chapel open. Michelangelo's response was, it is not finished. Here, Jesus' response is, it is finished. The work is completed. What was set out in the book of Genesis once again, at the beginning of mankind, was now completed in this one respect, that there was now a permanent sacrifice. No more need for the death of rams and bulls and goats and heifers and pigeons and so on. There was no more need for that. The sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God, had come. Now all these things were accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. And as I mentioned, it will be fulfilled precisely the way God says it will. With that in mind, Jesus, it says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Telio, it is finished. The work is completed, that part of salvation, so that you and I, who have come to an understanding, and some of us many long years ago, we've come to an understanding of what sin is and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, might now also know that the penalty of sin has been paid in full. Paid in full. That's also what this word telio means, to remit a debt. To pay it. We used to sing a song about Jesus. It says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And so now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. You see, once we sin against God, which is the experience of every human being on the planet, there is no way to make it back up. For instance, one example would be the murder. No matter what the dynamics are of the final judgment in the court of law is, there is no way to bring that life back. It cannot be stated a person who is released from prison for murder has paid his debt to society. It's just not possible. You cannot bring a dead person back. I mean, I don't know, maybe a theft or something else, but in that case, you can never bring the person back. And when it comes to sin, God is very specific about this. Once it's done, it cannot be undone. 
And I want to tell you something also that I've learned over the years to think of each day. It's how I end every day. I remind myself that whatever was done, I mean what is wrong, cannot now be undone. Whatever I should have done can now not be done. And it's a good way to end the day to remind yourself when you get up in the morning to be a bit sharper and a bit more clear about what you're to do in this world so that at the end of your life you can say, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I was listening to a former Navy SEAL. In the interview, they were asking him, what's the one thing that he fears? Now, this man does not profess to be a Christian. Yet, he said something very, very interesting. He said, well, he says, you know, if you believe in God, and he said, I really don't know who's up there, but I know somebody's watching us. And he says, I know that I have to give an account. Now, how does he know these things? Because some of this knowledge is given to every man. Conscience, common knowledge. In any case, he went through a scenario where he once was quite heavy and didn't have much of a life. And then he went through that scenario that here's so-and-so for you know, so many years, they, he was overweight and all this. And then he says, then the hand rips that down, and then here's so-and-so, and he goes through his decorations as a Navy SEAL and the things that he's accomplished and whatever else he's done after that. And then this person, this is his imagination. He doesn't know who he's referring to. He says, God, then he says something else says to me, you never were the person you were supposed to be. He said, that's his number one fear. That he'll face, well, I'm going to say God. He's going to face God, and God is going to say to him, you never became the person that you were designed to be. I find it interesting that someone who doesn't profess Christ is more concerned about giving an account for his life at the end than most professing Christians. And let's be clear about this. Salvation is free and open to everybody. This is not made for an exclusive group of people that God says, well, you guys just kind of slide in, but at the end I'll hold everybody else accountable for what they were supposed to be and never did and all the crimes against God and humanity. It's for everybody. God created us in Christ Jesus to be new creations. We, unfortunately, just use this as some type of line instead of applying it to our lives and saying, no, I must overcome this and that and the other thing, whatever is peculiar to your nature, and my nature, I must overcome this. I must overcome this because this is the person I was destined to be. This is the person God made me to be. I must be this man. I must be because this, this is what Christ has called me to. Remember in the book of the Revelation? To them that overcome, not to those that are overcome. To those that overcome, to the overcomers in Christ, I give right to eat of the tree of life. That's what you want. You want at the end of your life to be able to say, it is finished. My work is finished. Amen. I'm very confident, and I've told you this, I'm not going to die one day sooner. And what God has marked on his calendar, and when we were in a kind of a rough flight some years ago, on the flight from South Carolina to New York, we were bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. It was very rough weather. This woman sitting next to me was just murmuring, and she was frightened. So I felt compassion on her, and I said, listen, I'm a pastor. And I said, God isn't finished with my life. So I said, as long as I'm on this plane, you're safe. <laughs> Gloria Dios, she said, Gloria Dios. <laughs> I gotta call my mother, I gotta tell my mother. Now, I know you may think that's just being you know, silly, but I actually believe that. That's how I rationalized my way through this really rough ride. I felt like a Spalding ball. We actually bounced off the runway when we landed. I rationalized, this plane can't go down, I'm on it. You say it's egotistical. No, it's not. I believe God has a purpose for my life, and I will not leave this earth one day sooner till God is finished with his work 
in my life. And I would suggest you do the same thing. It's comforting to know that you're doing the will of God. It's comforting to know that when you're doing the will of God, you'll not leave the planet one day sooner. I also believe that at the moment of death, you'll be glad to go. Right now, I don't want to go. Right now, I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to preach and teach and play music and do other things that I'm supposed to do. But then I believe that when it's my time to go, there'll be a great release knowing I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, getting back to the theme and the title, three little words, it is finished. One word in Greek, teleo, but in the Greek phrase, it means there was a purpose in all of this up to this moment, and now that purpose is completed, it's finished. And God finished the work of forgiveness of all of our sins. And let me say this also by way of exhortation. The Bible, when properly understood, should make you the happiest person in the world. But that is not what I have observed in 44 years of ministry. And sometimes, far too often, people who profess Christ have the same concerns and worries as the world. Now, I have a lot of issues that come up against me. Someone made mention of something, and I said, well, it's like this. You see storm chasers? These people who actually go, there's a tornado, they're chasing it. I'm just the opposite. I don't chase tornadoes. They chase me. They look for me, say, there he is. And I mean, that's my life. It's like daily. It's amazing. I even said to my wife this morning before I left the house, I said, the longer I live, I'm not only convinced of the existence of God, I'm convinced of the existence of Satan and everything that this book says. It's just too coincidental. I've watched churches when people are really truly, I mean, as a whole, the church as a whole is truly desirous and ambitious to walk close with God and all of a sudden, boof. And we've seen that here just recently. And the one theme of so many of us, including myself, is pain. Is there such thing as a pain demon? I don't know, but if there is, he certainly has visited here, right? Yeah, it's just amazing. But yet we understand the reality of the spiritual realm when we come to the book and we humble ourselves before the book. I have said to you some months ago, and I want to say it again, read Job chapter 5 and Revelation 2. But in chapter 5, the statement in the middle of the chapter says, Behold, happy is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. Now that's not joyous for the moment. We read that in Hebrews. But then it gives all the benefits, what God's training does. It takes away our fears and our anxieties. It doesn't take away our problems. As a matter of fact, sometimes it introduces issues. God will let us be introduced to issues. But it gives us what is called in common parlance, stress inoculation. You have enough stress, and if you react properly to it, you become inoculated. You say, well, it's just another day, it's just another satanic attack, or just whatever it is. It is finished. Christ has completed the work so that we can be the happiest people in the world. Not the most comfortable. It's unfortunate that those two words are often associated. I'm happy because I'm comfortable. I don't have anything going wrong. But again, how many of you could testify that the more you press into the Lord, it just seems that there's more problems come up, things break. Am I right? It's, It's phenomenal. But if you handle it correctly, then you grow and you become stress inoculated. It is finished. Who is the one that started this work? It's the one that we see on the cross. In Isaiah 46 verse 9, God is speaking. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10 of Isaiah 46, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, 
the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is what Jesus was referring to, and there's more yet to come. Eschatology, the things of the last days, which we're living through now. Still more to come. But God says here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, declaring the end from the beginning. This is how it's going to go. Telio. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Verse 9 of the same chapter of Isaiah 42. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Again, this is the salient feature of the Bible against every other religious book. It says, this is how it's going to go. And for the discriminating mind, the unprejudiced mind that can look and look in history and look and look. I'll give you one example. Almost 2,000 years after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by Titus, the then emperor, the Jews were dispersed throughout the whole world. There's never been a nation ever that has been dispersed. Many were just destroyed, or some were at least were just destroyed. The Jews were dispersed throughout every nation of the world. Then in the 19th century, slowly and surely, they began to return to a land that was absolute desert. I mean, a wasteland. And we come up into 1948, and they are declared a nation once again, the first time in history. Hebrew, which was exclusively used only for the holy book or prayer, was revived according to the prophecy of Zechariah that will return to the people of pure language. Here we had Hebrew restored as the national language of Israel, Hebrew. But it wasn't for almost 2,000 years. And what I want to say is this. If you want to have proof that God actually wrote the Bible, look at the Jewish people. I know that not all of them are religious. I know that not all of them understand the Torah or the Bible. But still, they stand as a sign that God's word will come to pass. Read through Ezekiel. Shall these bones live again? Oh, Lord, only you know. And all of a sudden, the bones, they stand up. The organs are put in. The flesh is put in. There's an army of people. And God said, and he said it through Isaiah as well. I will visit you. I will bring you back to the land. And on and on and on. Because this is the God who wrote this, the God who is, wrote this book. He wrote this Bible. And he says, I'm telling you what will be done before it's done. And you know what? It's being done. And that's why, we, again, we need to pray. We need to be close to the book because it's sad. It really is, to me, it's sad how many people are just simply missing it. They're just missing it. And again, for people who profess to know Christ, these are people with Bibles in their hands and so on. So many of them are just missing it. And you may say, I do say it in some sense, but I know better in another sense. How can you miss it? And yet, we read again in Isaiah, in Jesus' time, he says, I blinded their eyes. Why? They did not want to know the truth. You see, you have to want to know the truth. You have to want to know the truth. If you're a seeker of real truth, not this nebulous, oh yeah, it's the truth. You got to really be diligent about it. Then God grants you the ability to see it. Though the paradox, the irony is, it can be seen. It's right in front of you. Right in front of you. You ever stick your glasses up on your head and then go yell at your spouse? What'd you do with my glasses? <laughs> I read about Billy Graham before a crusade. He's all energetic and nervous and whatever. And he's yelling down to his wife, Ruth, 
where are my pants? What did you do with them? And she says, you have them on. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. People's minds are so distracted. They're missing the obvious. But for the prudent and for the diligent in Daniel chapter 12, it says, none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. They'll see. Let me continue. And so we read about God in Isaiah 42. Then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, and this, of course, is Jesus, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Chapter 1, verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Revelation 21, 6, and he said to me, it is done. See, this is yet to be fulfilled. This is yet to be finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That portion. Now there'll come a time. And how much longer will it be? I don't know. It can't be so much longer. Too much longer. It is done. In other words, God is going to say again, now it's totally finished. The work that I've told you the end from the beginning. And my counsel will stand. I will do what I want to do. That's what that phrase means. I will do all my pleasure. We go back to the book of Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. We won't even think about the planet. The planet will still be here. But when God recreates the new heavens and the new earth, I mean, the earth is going to be renovated by God, in a manner of speaking, recreated. We won't even remember what earth was like for the pristine beauty, the pristine beauty of the world to come. Odd, isn't it? So many people, and I do, I feel for them, I empathize with them. They want this utopia so bad, but the Bible is clear that they will not see it. And yet we here read about God's recreation of the planet, his recreating a new heavens and a new earth, where the glory of that time, which is up in front of us, will be so great. We won't even be able to remember. What was the earth like before God recreated it again? We have hope through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 41, 4, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. And by the way, here we have, I mean, no one would argue in the Old Testament, well, God's speaking here in Isaiah, but then we have in Revelation, Jesus saying the exact same thing. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am he. He equated himself with God. There's no doubt about that. Isaiah 44, 6, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44, 7 goes on to say, And who, as I shall call and declare it and set it in order before me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are my witnesses. This is specifically speaking of Israel. Is there a God beside me? And here we see what I've always considered just God having some sense of humor. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. When you think of the religions, some of the religions of the world where they have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of gods, one of the things that is a difficulty for missionaries when they go over to certain countries is say, Jesus is God. And they say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they just put them on a shelf with thousands of other gods. Missionaries have got to go through great lengths to say, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. These gods that you worship don't exist. They are non-entities, or worse, there's demon spirits behind it, but they're still not gods. They're still not God. And so God says here, 
is there any other God beside me? He says, uh, I don't know of any. It's just me. And he declares the end from the beginning so that he can say, as the word became flesh on the cross, it is finished. And then at the end, the very, very end, it will say, it is done. And let me say this one more time. Let me exhort you as your pastor one more time. This ought to make you happy. And I'm going to say to you that if it doesn't make you happy, you go home today and really check your heart. Because it just may be your treasure is not in this book. Your treasure is not in these promises. Look, I'm made sad by a lot of things, disappointed by a lot of things. But when I bring it all into perspective, it diminishes that sadness quite a bit. Let me give you an example. At this stage of my life, I realize that many things that I wanted to do are probably not going to get done. I don't mean my work, my life's work. God willing, that will get done. And a couple of other things that are related to it that I've considered to be unfinished business, God willing, that'll get done as well. But for instance, I'm not really interested in traveling. I've told my wife many times, if you, know, if you want to see something overseas, you just go on the internet, you can watch the whole thing, and it's just, I'm good. I don't have to pack my bags, I don't have to be checked, I don't have to be asked if I'm vaccinated, are you all good, you got any diseases, you got anything to declare, I don't have to go through an x-ray machine, all I can do is just say, oh, that's very pretty, and move on, and stay right in my chair. Now, maybe you like to travel, that's fine, that's okay, I'm okay with that, but me, no, I have very, very little interest in some of that, but there are a few things I'd like to see. I always thought I would get really, really deep into the Adirondacks and see some of the things. And now I start to see what the time is and my schedule is and my plans are. And this is how I look at it now and say, it doesn't matter. Eternity is right there. Eternity is right up ahead. I can wait. I can wait a few more months, a few more years, and I'm going to be there. I don't know if that helps you out, but it's helping me out. And now I don't feel this anxiety, like I better do it before I'm too old to enjoy it and all that stuff. Because I'm going to enjoy it shortly, not by men's standards, I mean, I plan on being around for a while. Look at when we were young, and there's many of us in this room that are not all that young, and the old people said, oh, life goes so fast, it never registered, never registered. And then one day, you say to yourself, how did I get here? So fast, so fast, the time has gone so fast. Again, I say to my wife, I said, let's do the math. We've been together since high school. We've known each other since high school. It came fast. I said, do you think these next few years are going to slow down? They're going to speed by. We better get down to business of what we've got to do and you know, rest when we can and relax when we can. But it's about working and working for the Lord. And then we'll receive our full reward. You know, I've counted on that. Because frankly, I have not received my reward here. So I'm anticipating that when I do receive my reward, it will be a glorious day. I believe so. Listen, Isaiah 48, 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my call. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Just, again, keep this in mind. Don't let anybody say to you, they'll say it to you. Don't let them fool you. Jesus never said he was God. You're reading from Isaiah. I'm reading from Isaiah. You can read it too. And you go to Revelation, he says the exact same thing. I'm Alpha and I'm Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. That's what God said, as we know him as Jehovah in the Old Testament. Now, I want to leave you with something today that has greatly challenged me. The title of this message, once again, is three little words. It is finished. But I'm exhorting you, you want to be able to say that at the end of your life. Remember, when you're reading this verse here in John 19, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He wasn't talking about he's dying. This is it. There's no more left in me. I'm finished. It's not his reference. This reference was, the scriptures have now been 
fulfilled. You want to end your life when that day comes to be able to say, Lord, I'm ready. I have finished the work you gave me to do, keeping in mind all the obstacles, all the hardships, all the difficulties. That cannot stop you. Cannot stop you. You must keep on going. But here's the challenge, and it's a good challenge. Some years ago, I was heavily burdened, and that happens from time to time, with the ministry. And I was just wondering why I wasn't as happy as I'd like to be. And let me give you a little tip here, a little trade secret. When men, well, women too, I guess, when they get all dressed up and they're, you know, hey, how's everybody doing? Or how are you really feeling? Like the sign says here, coming down on Market Hill. You better understand that things are not always the same from the pulpit to behind closed doors. I want to say it's a lot like acting. I don't mean in my case. If you wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm pretty much the same person. So if you don't like me at noon, you won't like me at 3 a.m. <laughs> and if you do like me at noon, you should like me at 3 a.m. Because I'm pretty much always the same. A little variation, but not a whole lot. But there are many, many people who feel an obligation in the pulpit to put up a pretense. And there is a certain decorum that goes with the pulpit. But what I'm trying to say is this. Pastors and preachers and so on struggle as much as you do. But all of us are called to overcome. Overcome. How many times have I told you? We're, we're situated on the face of the earth. This is not exactly the Paris of America. The great mega metropolis. Like, wow. I mean, there's certain places, literally, you could drop a church into it and you could have a thousand members the first day. We are not in that place. We fight. We draw blood on every inch that we take. And even then, we got to fight over that. So I went through a period, and I was just discouraged. One of the things I had told my wife, I said, I don't get it. We sow so much seed. You know, we're throwing out bags full of seed, the Word of God. And so little comes back. So I was sitting there, and I was just talking to the Lord in prayer, asking him, you know, why was I so heavy? And then I could hear him speak. These words, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So as I was talking to the Lord, these verses came back to me in memory. And I asked this silly question. I said, if your yoke is easy, Lord, why am I so heavy laden? And this is what he said. He said, because you're not wearing my yoke. What yoke was I wearing? I was wearing the yoke of the board, the board that we had then. I was wearing the yoke of the people, pastor this, pastor this. Pastor. It was not easy being the pastor. I told you about the young lady I was talking to. This past week, a lot of people tell her things when they're coming in the door. And she was just going on a little bit about people. And I said, really? To try being the pastor? She said, oh, no. Oh, no. I said, you have people's problems that stick to you. And it's true. It's not an easy business. And if you think it is, do it. I dare you. And do it the way we did it, sitting out in a little Honda Civic when they used to be like circus cars, little <laughs> tiny thing, with no money, nothing, zero, totally trusting God to build the ministry. And to this day, I've never been late on the bill, ever. I've never not paid a bill, including this mortgage. You guys remember that, right? Some people didn't think that we could buy this building, and we didn't. God did, Amen. through those that give. And the ministry will continue to go on because God's going to build his church. So what I want to say is this verse came back to me recently, but it wasn't the yoke part as much for me as it was this one word, learn. Whenever I'm somewhere in a valley, there's something there to learn. Did I miss the call? Did I miss a signal? Did I miss a turn? There's something there to learn. 
Because Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. And he gives an invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, he says, and learn from me. This is the challenge of my life right now. 44 years I've had my nose in this book. I've been diligent to study it. I've been diligent to read it. Now I find myself wanting to go deeper with Christ. I want his yoke around my neck. Whose yoke do you want around your neck? You know, I say this to you all the time only because I think it bears repeating. How many of you are finding peace through television, politics, honest journalists? Because we tell the truth here. Right. I have the fortunate disposition of not trusting anybody. Try to watch the Olympics and somebody's got some protest going on or some statement they got to make. Again, I'm rolling my eyes just saying, I just want to turn it off. And eventually I did. It's a chaotic world. It's a world that's filled with sin. People are proud of it. Learn, he says. Come to me. Didn't just say take my yoke. He says, now learn from me. We are the students, the disciples, pupils. And even though it is finished and so we're saved, but now he says there's going to be a process of learning. You're going to learn me. You're going to learn my way. And you know what? When you do learn Jesus' way, I mean, it's like I feel weights fall off my back. I can just feel the weight. So, yeah, why am I concerned about that? It's a great experience to learn Jesus. Let me say something to you before I finish. So you're reading in the news. I am too. This COVID isn't over yet. No. Coming back with a vengeance. Even stronger than before. Now there's talk about shutdowns and all this business. And I guess we should be anxious. I'm not. I remember the 91st Psalm. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. I remember that Christ is my healer when I am sick. So either way, it's a win-win. Then I read contradictions. One of the leading chemists at Cornell really ripped into some of these people that are out there speaking about this. Yeah, I think I'll leave it all off, but we are not the only ones that are tired of being manipulated and so on. But you see, these are the worries of the world. We have Christ, and he says, learn from me. Are you fearful all the time? Where's Christ? You see, we all are tempted to fear and be afraid and anxiety, but he says, overcome it. It's not that you don't have it. Everybody has it. You overcome it. There's a misunderstanding about Jesus' yoke. It's like the yoke comes on and problems just disappear. They don't disappear. But we learn Christ. He said, I'll teach you how to overcome this. I'll teach you how to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Then there's the peace. Peace I leave you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives it. Again, let me ask the juvenile question. Are you finding peace from watching television? Are you finding peace online? I can't find peace anywhere except in Christ. Then all of a sudden my whole spirit just relaxes. My mind relaxes. And I hear Jesus saying, now, learn from me. Watch how I do things. Isn't that how apprenticeship goes? You learn from the master. Let us therefore fear, Hebrews 4, 1, 2, and 3. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now listen here is the final word. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. It's a reference to Old Testament Israel. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he has said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Same idea. God said this is how it's going to go. We live in time. God does not. God is outside time. So for God, the start and the finish is the same thing. Not for us. The start is here. We're walking along. But I want you just to zero in on this. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Even in the Old Testament, they had the seeds of the gospel. 
but it did not profit them because they never threw in the main ingredient that must go with the Bible, faith, believing it. I'll use this as a hyperbolic expression. I don't really mean this, but I could actually say to you, if you're not mixing it with faith, you might as well stop reading it. Stop memorizing it. Stop quoting it because you don't actually believe it. And if you don't believe it and mix it with faith, it will not profit you. Christ is the healer. Well, I've learned, and in the last two weeks I'm learning, how can I put Christ to a test if I don't get sick, if something doesn't happen? I mean, you're in the middle of the night, and your whole face is all froze up and whatever else. And just for those of you watching, no, I'm not having a stroke. Just got a little infection in my tooth. And I hear the voice. I, not, not God, so I hear the little voice. And, oh, the weekend's going to be all messed up. Doesn't I ever get a break? And God says, no, you don't. Because you're in training, and you're going to learn from me. So I speak in faith and say, okay, whatever it takes, I'm going to overcome. And God gives you the same command. Whatever it takes, overcome it in Jesus' name, which means that you are mixing the word with faith. Others are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be at the track playing the ponies. I don't know what they're doing, but I will remind them, Sunday is the Lord's day. And if I were you, I would start drawing very close to Jesus, very close to God. Because you're going to need him, both now and in eternity, mostly over there, but it's good to have him now too. Right close by your side. Telio, it is finished. And we know how the game is going to go, and we know who wins. For we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Are you being tested right now? I don't mean right now. Well, maybe my preaching tests you. But are you being tested in your life right now? Can I see your hand? You feel like you're going through the ringer? Do you remember the old-fashioned ringers? My grandmother had one. You know, they didn't put them in the dryer back in those days. It was like, wash the shirt, then you go through these two wooden things. So I wouldn't want to be that shirt. God was laughing because I wasn't saved at the time. He said, so you're going to be that shirt. Here's another test. And I go in feet first. Let's see your hand one more time. You being tested right now? You going through the ringer? I don't know anybody. Only people who have had their brains removed surgically are the only people not going through stress. Everybody's going through the ringer. But Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And we will overcome. We will overcome. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Two things I hate in this world, flies and mosquitoes. But what I hate more than flies and mosquitoes is the devils behind them. Because they come to visit at night and put a thought in your head and put another thought in your head and another thought in your head. And you have got to have the resilience to say, I do not accept that thought. I don't care what I see, smell, sense. I don't care. I will believe the word of God. That's mixing it with faith. And it's going to be difficult. But you've got to do it. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we praise you and we thank you. Oh God, we thank you. You said, learn from me. I guess maybe we didn't always figure those lessons would be hard. But hard or easy doesn't make a difference because we come to you and we ask you to strengthen. Today, God, so many, almost every hand here went up. People being put through the ringer. I just ask you today, Lord, Father God, to strengthen your church. Pour out your spirit. Cause us to be mindful to pray one for another. Also to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. We ask you today, God, because I don't know of too many people, if there are any who truly are following you, that are not being tested and tempted and put through the ringer. God, we shall overcome. We will win it. We will win it. Because you said, it is finished. It is finished. And one day, you're going to say, it is done. It is all done. 
Blessed be your name, O God. Cause us, God, as Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jew first, and to the Gentile also. Cause us, God, not to be ashamed of the gospel as it's written, not amended, not adulterated, not changed, just as it's written. And you have promised you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And we've not come to the end just yet. We bless you and we praise you, God. The scriptures in the book of Acts said there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said there is no other name under heaven. No other religious leader, philosopher, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Through the fire, through the river, but all of us are coming through the blood. So let's go out there and get back to it. Father, we bless you and we praise you that we are not going backward. We are going forward. Amen. And every hand, I think every hand went up here today, people going through tremendous tests and trials and going through the ringer. Well, we were told that from the beginning. Now God, strengthen us, help us to be faithful to the end and be able to say, as you said, it is finished. I have finished my work. And let there be, oh God, that type of faith at Time for Truth. And around the world, wherever your church is found, strengthen the brethren. We pray all these things today. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say amen, amen. and amen.